They are ancient words. The average Christian prays them every week in worship, and perhaps you pray them on your own. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The words roll out with rhythm, like they have been written on our hearts from the beginning of time. They are spoken in every language, sung to many tunes. This Lent, at Second Presbyterian Church, we're taking our time with the Lord's Prayer, breaking it down week by week in a sermon series called Pray Then in This Way. May this experience help you more fully embrace the prayer we already love. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the New Testament Gospel of Matthew. It is a part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which takes place in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Tradition places this sermon taking place in Galilee, on the side of a mountain that has become known as the Mount of Beatitudes. Picture the image on your bulletin cover. That is actually an image of that mountain. It takes place early in the ministry of Jesus, so it's not long after his baptism and his 40 days of temptation in the desert. Jesus has been preaching all around Galilee, and crowds of people have begun to follow him wherever he is. So a crowd is gathered along here with his disciples, and Jesus preaches to them out in the open on the side of this mountain. We pick up midway through his sermon in Matthew chapter 6, which is found on page 781 of your pew Bible. So listen now for God's word to the church today, the words of Jesus. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head 
and wash your face, so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who sees in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was Isaac and his father's tradition to read two books before bed each night. After the books, his dad would tuck Isaac under the covers, and Isaac would say his prayers. God bless Mommy and Daddy, my brother and sister, my cousins, my aunts and uncles. And then the questions would begin. Daddy, does Grandma Anne hear my prayers in heaven? Daddy, can God bless the ants and the ladybugs and all the insects and the snakes and the turtles and all the fish and my dog Sheila? Daddy, should we pray for people who are in jail? Daddy, can we pray that everyone has their own bed to sleep and pray in? Teaching children that they can talk to God is one of the greatest gifts of faith we can share. As a child, I can remember the thousands of thoughts that would run through my mind once the lights are out. Our days are filled with distractions, good and bad, and it can be hard to turn our thoughts to something like prayer. Jesus knew this. In Mark, we read that Jesus got up very early in the morning while it was still dark and left the house for a solitary place where he prayed. In Luke, we read that Jesus withdrew to lonely places to pray and that one time he went out into the hills to pray and spent the whole night talking to God. Jesus talked to God often and he taught his disciples to do the same. Jesus' disciples, of course, were Jewish men. Whenever you pray, Jesus instructs. He is assuming that prayer is already a part of their religious life. They would have grown up hearing and reading the prayers at the synagogue. They would have read Hebrew, and they were familiar with their faith's rituals and traditions. It was not uncommon in those days for rabbis to teach their pupils a new prayer. The disciples would have listened and recognized the cadence and topics reminiscent of other prayers in their tradition. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This Lent, we are exploring the depth and meaning of this ancient prayer. George likes to describe our sermon series as a practice in giving something up for Lent, that we are giving up the Lord's Prayer for Lent. Well, since George isn't here, I can say it freely. I don't like describing this sermon series as giving up the Lord's Prayer, because we aren't giving it up. We're doing the opposite of that. While we won't be reciting the Lord's Prayer in unison over the next six Sundays, we will be savoring it and exploring it in far deeper ways than we ever have before. So we are not giving it up. We are breaking it down piece by piece so that we may come to understand it more. Because if we're not careful, something familiar like this prayer can become rote. Presbyterian minister Steve Eason asked the question, how would you pray if Jesus were seated right in front of you? Odds are our prayers would be a heck of a lot shorter and a heck of a lot more humble. Our prayer would probably be a prayer more like the Lord's Prayer, and there would not be a hint of rote recitation to it. In the weeks to come, we mean to take our time with this prayer. We want to consider what each petition really means, 
And we want to recognize the true boldness of what this prayer really calls on, what it is asking of God for ourselves and for the world. Now, in George's defense, it is pretty popular to talk about giving something up for Lent. Who among us here has ever chosen to give something up for Lent? I have. Several years ago, I gave up Dr. Pepper. I had a bit of a Dr. Pepper addiction. But instead of Dr. Pepper, I just drank lemonade instead. I don't believe I can count that as a spiritual discipline, swapping one sweet drink for another. Lent is meant to be a season in which we work to renew our deep commitment to God. It can be a helpful season for both personal reflection and for the letting go of things that have become obstacles to fuller devotion to God and a life of Christian discipleship. If our issue is overscheduling and overcommitting to the point of neglecting time in worship, study, prayer, or service, then Lent is an invitation to give up those commitments that have become an obstacle for our faith. If life seems to revolve too much around a hobby, an activity, or a personal indulgence, then Lent is an invitation to set it aside for the 40-day period to refocus on God. In this way, it is a season of letting go. The roots of this season are ancient. As early as 325 CE, when the Council of Nicaea met, Lent was observed as a period of 40 days, not including Sundays, immediately preceding Easter. The 40-day period recalled Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness following his baptism. It was a time of repentance, spiritual discipline, and preparation for baptism at Easter. Because in those days, if you were a Christian convert, you would wait all year long to be baptized on Easter morning. Several centuries later, when the practice of Easter baptism was no longer the norm for the church, Lent became less focused on preparation for baptism and widely observed for its focus on repentance, spiritual discipline, and preparation for Holy Week and the journey of the Easter story. Frederick Beekner points out that many cultures share an ancient tradition of giving one-tenth of each year's income to some holy use. For Christians, he writes, to observe the 40 days of Lent is to do the same thing with roughly one-tenth of each year's days. What would it look like if one-tenth of your year were spent clearing a little space in the overscheduled calendar, intentionally quieting the alerts and the notifications that distract you, and finding more ways to sit at Jesus' feet in worship, the study of scripture, in service, in prayer. One-tenth of your year. Lent is not only about giving up things for a season. It is also about taking on new behaviors and practices. Even the origins of the word Lent in Middle and Old English speak to growth. The word for spring and the word to describe the lengthening of the daylight hours both extend from the same root word for Lent. So instead of giving up the Lord's Prayer, we are going to give ourselves up to the power of the Lord's Prayer because it is powerful. In 2008, I interned at a church in Easley, South Carolina. It was this church's tradition to deliver home communion each summer Sunday after worship. The pastor, a church elder, and I would travel to homes, nursing homes, and dementia care facilities. 
we would visit, talk about families and the church, and share a bit of that Sunday's worship. Then we would break bread and share the cup together. The conversation with members who struggle with dementia was often difficult. Sometimes those church members couldn't speak at all. One married couple from the church were both in a dementia care unit, even sharing a room together with two twin beds in that small space. So the three visitors, those three of us from the church, we sat in chairs at the feet of their beds. There wasn't much conversation to be had. Truth be told, there wasn't any. The couple did not speak, and the pastor moved swiftly to the service of communion. As he prayed, he transitioned from his pastoral prayer to the Lord's Prayer, saying, We pray together the prayer our Lord Jesus taught us. The elder and I joined our voices with his. Our Father, who art in heaven. And then a fourth voice chimed in. Hallowed be thy name. And then a fifth voice. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. The couple prayed every word of that familiar prayer. When we had said amen and we opened our eyes, we saw the same two faces looking back at us. But there was a spark of recognition in their eyes. The dementia had not gone. Their minds were not well. But somewhere through the fog of that awful disease, those ancient words of faith rang out clear as a bell. What is it about this prayer that can speak to and for all of us? What is it about this prayer that can hold meaning throughout our whole lives long? Maybe you learned the Lord's Prayer as a child. Maybe you're learning it for the first time now. Maybe you've heard it prayed at funerals or out on the battlefield. Maybe you pray it before bed each night or you had it sung at your wedding. For many of us, we have prayed this prayer so often that we have forgotten what it says. In Matthew 6, Jesus has told us to be real in our prayer. He has shown us how. In this prayer, we pray that we might act as God would have us act. We pray that we might have what God would have us have, no more, no less. We pray that we might honor our relationships, asking and extending forgiveness as God would have us treat those relationships. And we pray that we might have the strength to do these things. To put it even simpler still, in this prayer, Jesus directs our concern to God, to ourselves, and to our neighbor and ask that we have the strength to care for all three. It is that simple. It is that profound. It is that important. And it is so worth slowing it down, taking the time to understand it all. The season of Lent begins this Wednesday. We invite you to join us in making space in your life these 40 days, from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday to savor this ancient prayer. Pray it, read it, recite it, and be so bold as to mean it, each and every word. Amen. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.